What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. My name is Zach. I am one of your hosts, and joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. Ben, thanks for the uh, thanks for the birthday present. That was pretty dope. Did that come through on the audio? I hope it did. <laughs> oh, no, it was one of those terrible party blower sounds. So anyway, add one of those in in post, so it looks like I, I played that. <laughs> Uh, I think I'll just I, let I'm you pretty, look like a fool. No, 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 I'm sure you can handle that. Uh, trust me, if he put several seconds of silence instead of a party blower, know that that's just Zach doing his nonsense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> happy birthday, dude. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that was, that was uh, oh, geez, that was only two days ago. It feels like an eternity ago. Uh, but yeah, that, it was fun. Thank, thank you a lot. Do anything fun? Uh, we had five guys, which is my my usual go to, and watch The Dark Knight as I want to do from, <laughs> from time to time. Uh, what does this make it? The hundred seventy second time or not quite? Not quite. It's we're at one hundred thirty eight now. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm counting down know, days uh, until we hit two hundred. That'll be that'll be fun. Yeah, those that don't know, Zach can recite the entire movie. Yeah, that's not an exaggeration. Word for word, I can quote the whole film. <laughs> it, it's impressive. Maybe we'll do that as a sign-off sometime. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah, just a two-and-a-half-hour <laughs> sign-off. If you ever notice an episode that's like a, a basics episode that should be like an hour, and you see it's actually four-and-a-half hours long, you'll know what happened. Yeah, the caveat to that is I have to be watching the film to do it properly. Otherwise, it mm. takes me a lot of time. But like, I can do it in time without with the with the the actual actors. I don't have to hear it first and then recite it. Obviously, that would, mm. that would be cheating. But well, anyway, uh, we got some call time to get into this week. The day that we're recording this is the streamer day. So a little while ago, I was watching LSV play some games. We're in a new format. I'm excited. Yeah, this is episode number 32, and as Ben mentioned today, we're talking about Kaldheim. This is our Kaldheim format breakdown episode. We're going to be going through all the archetypes you can expect to see and uh, some comments on different different cards that you can expect to keep an eye on. And we're changing the format up a little bit. We'll get to that in just a bit. But before we do, of course, we got to plug the Discord. That's the best place to go if you want to interact with us outside of the show and any of the other community members here. We have channels for all sorts of things every draft format we're gonna have one for call time coming up here uh today or tomorrow as well uh, we have a bunch of general channels just for for hanging out memes and such and uh, a number of groups for for looking for group type channels so if you're interested in joining the community there and communicating more with with all of us that's the best place to do that. We're also brought to you by you, the listener, via Patreon. That's right. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. That's our primary and, in fact, only sponsor now at this point. So that's the best place to go to support us directly if, you, if you're if you so into that. We have a ton of options. We have different things like stickers, access to the full show notes, custom deck building opportunities with, with the two of us, as well as access to completely uncut and unedited versions of the show with our usual pre- and post-show shenanigans. Um, once we hit $50 a month total, we are going to start uploading video versions of the show. So that's kind of our short-term goal at the Patreon over there. We're pretty close to that already. So definitely give that a look if that's something you want to see us do as well. But that brings us to a crack a draft type thing. Ben, why don't you walk us through? This, this is our first Kaldheim crack a draft type thing. Right. So we're going to start it off nice and easy with a pack one, pick one. So first up, we've got Woodland Chasm. This is a snow land. It's a swamp forest. It enters the battlefield tap. These are pretty high picks and black green is kind of where you want to be. Uh, black, green, and blue are the snow colors, but not into first picking one of these. Yeah, probably not. Next up, we've got Jaspera Sentinel. This is one green for a 1-2 elf rogue with reach. It has tap, tap and untap creature you control, add one mana of any color. Well, I like seeing one mana mana dorks, but I do not like having to tap a second creature to use it. Yeah, it's a weird effect. We've seen this before, and it's nice that um, this 
Uh, actually, and I might have the templating wrong on the one I'm looking at. This this does require tapping an, uh, an untapped creature as part of the cost, correct? It's not part of the effect. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so that is that is pretty uh, pretty annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, we've seen this before, and it usually ends up playing out a little better than completely unplayable. <laughs> but uh, let's move on. Next, we've got Wings of the Cosmos. This is one white for an instant. Target creature gets plus one, plus three, and gains flying until end of turn. Untap it. You know, this is a pretty innocent looking combat trick, but I like it. This uh, I like this one a lot. Uh, you're getting three pretty significant effects for one white mana at instant speed. And this is the kind of format where I value the one mana slot pretty heavily, especially at instant speed, given the ability to, say, foretell on turn two, then foretell on turn three and leave up a one mana thing, mm -hmm. or play a two drop, then foretell. I think the one and two drop slots are going to be pretty interesting in this format. Yeah. Now, Wings of Cosmos, uh, the ability to untap and give flying and give plus one plus three this can uh eat a flying attacker uh even as like an ambush because it untaps it this can untap something just to get the one three and you know eat a, a you know big ground attacker or if worst case scenario you could just jump an attacker to get through the last few points of damage yeah this definitely is a weird kind of uh, combat trick in the fact that it's it's more defensively slanted but it's going to allow you to eat attackers that you you know your opponent's going to think they have an attack that they don't have it's going to like you said get in for those extra few points of damage if need be and i i expect this is going to be one of the higher higher picked uh combat tricks it's probably up there uh, as one of the better combat tricks in the format mm -hmm. seems great in the double spell decks as well yeah. next up we've got a null this is one blue for an instant counter target artifact or enchantment spell i believe this was last printed in original theros of course that's a set where there were just enchantment creatures running all around i do not like a null in this format i think the only time you'd play is if your opponent has an entire deck made of sagas and that uncommon series of equipment yeah there just aren't enough targets in this set for this to be that great uh this is probably just a sideboard constructed card to be honest yeah Next, we've got Coma's Faithful. This is two and a black for a 3-1 Elf Cleric with lifelink. When Coma's Faithful dies, each player mills three cards. Seems hmm. fine. It's aggressive. It'll gain you some life. I, I don't know if the mill's going to be super relevant. Um, there is like a, a minor graveyard sub-theme in this, in this format, but um, I am certainly not looking to first pick Coma's Faithful. Definitely not. Next up, we've got Strategic Planning. Speaking of things we're not interested in, this is one of the blue for a sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Well, in a format where you could be foretelling things for two mana or just casting very powerful two drops, why would you want to do this? Yeah, this this is a little weird. I, I'm not sure where this is going to end up in the format, but definitely not a first pick. Next is Tuscary Firewalker. Probably the only card I'm excited to see so far. This is two and a red for a 3-2 human berserker with boast for one. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that red decks tend to run out of or tend, tend to fall short on is card advantage or at least uh, the ability to draw cards. And mm -hmm. this isn't exactly that, but it does get lands off the top if, if you play around it correctly. Um, and it does continue to fill your hand up, so to speak. So I, I And it's an aggressive card that isn't expensive to boast. I think this is going to be a decent three drop to have in any red deck. So certainly the pick for me right now. Yeah, exactly. Any red common creature that can get you out of a you know, late game top deck war help uh, get you into that late game gas. Seems good to me. Next up, we've got Sculptor of Winter. This is one of the green for a 2-2. It's a snow creature, an elf rogue, and it has tap, untap, target, snowland. But here's a mana dork. Uh, but again, kind of situational. 
Yeah, situational. It's also a two mana dork. Um, I guess it's a two two body, so you're you're there on the vanilla test. But we'll see how how uh, Sculptor Winter works out. I think it'll actually be more useful than than I originally anticipated. Uh, mm. But but we'll you know we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah. Next up, we've got Raiders Carve. This is three mana for a vehicle. It's a 4-4. When it attacks, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it on the battlefield tapped. It is crew 3. Ugh. This was crew 1 or 2. This could be pretty strong, but uh, once you get to crew 3, it's a little, uh, I don't know. This might see some play. I'll probably try it out. It has a sizable body and does actually get you card advantage. Kind of like a goblin guide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little better than the wayward guide beast, we'll say. But yeah, okay. Uh, as for, you know, interacting with lands and tops of libraries and decks and such. Uh, I'm not looking to first pick this either. I'm still in the Firewalker. Same. Next up, we've got Infernal Pet. This is two and a black for a 2-2 imp. <laughs> it's, it's got some pretty funny art. This little guy is eating a fairy or something. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Infernal Pet, and it gains flying until end of turn. Definitely a good card for the... The second spell decks. Uh, I mean, it fits nicely in the black white the black white decks. It's going to get bigger. Um, you know, it's a permanent uh, permanent buff that it's getting mm-hmm. uh, outside of the flying aspect. But then it's like a build your own fled- uh, fearless fledgling, right? Yeah. So you know that card did did wonders, and I, I think Infernal Pet's going to see some play for sure. Yeah, it only takes playing two spells a turn twice before this thing's a four four flyer, and then it just sticks around yeah. as a four four afterwards. Yeah, notably, like this is less powerful than than the fledgling, right? Landfall's a lot easier to hit more reliably than mm, casting yeah. two spells. Like, how frequently can you expect to have two spells a turn? But there are a lot of cheap spells that are worth playing in this format. So, yeah, I think once you hit that two two triggers uh, sweet spot, you're going to be happy to have this. Next, we've got Duskwielder. This is one black for a 1-2 elf berserker. It is boast, pay one, target opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. This is just stone cold unplayable, right? Unless you have, like, super berserker or elf synergies. Yeah, it just doesn't seem worth it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Notably, there was a deck in Kaladesh, uh, in both the remastered and kind of the original, more so in the remaster, uh, that involved Night Market Lookout, which is a very similar looking card. We just played like five Night Market Lookouts and hoped to drain them out. The most important part about that card was that you didn't have to pay anything for that. Uh, if you're dumping your mana into Duskwielder, you're not curving out. Or if you're not curving out, then you're just playing an underpowered one drop. Yeah, I mean, this also has to attack through something right so it, maybe it's going to trigger once but then like it, it's a one two so it's just going to get eaten mm-hmm. next to our uncommons we've got rune of speed this is one in a red for an aura rune enchant permanent when it en- enters the battlefield draw a card as long as enchanted permanent is a creature it gets plus one plus oh and has haste and as long as enchanted permanent is an equipment it has equipped creature gets plus one plus oh and has haste these things seem sweet all the yeah. runes i mean taking out the drawback of auras that you know allow you to get two for one like the fact that this replaces itself and all the runes do make them way better than the average aura uh mm. i would say the red one's like probably on the lower end of these runes i think plus one plus one haste isn't going to be really all that beneficial that often but uh, it does replace itself and they're pretty highly picked do you take this over to scary firewalker i do yeah i actually like this quite a bit i think this makes up for one of the biggest weaknesses of the red decks which is uh, they start running out of late game gas and then maybe every once in a while they top deck a creature, but then their opponent also gets the chance to top deck before the red deck gets to attack again. Maybe they put all this work into getting their opponent to four, and then they top deck their four four. But if their opponent then has an extra turn, well then you know they can get out of it. But with this rune of speed, if you attach this to an equipment, then all of a sudden you have an equipment lying around that's you know presenting a real threat. It turns any top deck into just a game ender. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean the equipment's still going to have an activation cost, so you, it's not like it's just a free attachment. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that that that's that's fair to say. 
play, and I'm curious to see how this actually ends up playing out in the red decks. Yeah, notably these uh, these runes, you can equip or you can enchant anything. So if you need True. to, you can just cycle this away on a land. Next, we've got Doomscar Titan. This is four red red for a four four giant berserker. When it enters the battlefield, creatures you control get plus one plus zero oh, and gain haste until end of turn. And it has foretell. You can foretell this and then uh, play it for four in a red. Yeah. So I mean, you take you take presumably. I think with this this particular foretell card, you're gonna want to go something like two drop, three drop, foretell this, and a two drop on four, and then for mm. like actually cast this on five, so that everything's getting in, uh, and yeah. you don't really take any turns off from casting creatures. Mm-hmm. It's a f- six mana four four otherwise, uh, but it does kind of do the pump thing. I, I expect to see this 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 will see play. I, I don't know really where to rate it. It's probably like. I don't know, C, C plus maybe? Yeah, I'd probably have it a little higher than that as like a C plus or B minus. I think I'd be, this is probably my pick from the pack right now. I think that's fair to say, yeah. So the next one will eclipse that. We've got Blizzard Brawl. I'm not passing up a green removal spell. This is one green for a snow sorcery. Choose target creature you control and target creature you don't control. If you control three or more snow permanents, the creature you control gets plus one plus oh and gains indestructible until end of turn. Then those creatures fight each other. So, how many snow permanents do you need in your deck to actually be happy about this card? Because you Honestly, need to have zero. three else on the field, right? For it to you get do need to have, upside. Yeah, you do need to have th- three snow permanents. Uh, th- this is it checks. You know, just the if you have three. There's some snow cards that look to see how many you have. Maybe you get right. uh, a scaling effect, but this one is just one and done. I don't know. I, th- this is just a rabid bite, right? Green's playing big creatures. Uh, there's six sixes in this format. This is just a, a solid removal spell in any case. And if you can get this indestructible off, then just immense upside. So I think taking this first pick allows you to then start sure. picking up these random snow lands, maybe starting to look at wheeling that Sculptor of Winter or even that Woodland Chasm. And then uh, once you know that you're going to be in snow, you can kind of start to edge in on that early start not passing snow stuff start sending the signal that you're kind of in that snow lane and then hope to uh maybe pick up some snow in pack two uh, and then in pack three as well yeah yeah i I agree i i've just uh wanted to point out that you know for the listener that that there is going to be you know you have to kind of think about this card as being that latter half as opposed to the whole thing in most mm-hmm. cases uh, because maintaining that uh, like getting enough snow cards or snow permanents to actually hit that three on the battlefield at any given time is going to be relatively difficult I would think mm-hmm. the upside of this is that you're just going to put it in any green deck and then right. start to take snow stuff if you happen to get there great if you don't also great you got a rabbit bite or a, a fight spell rather um, what's the one I'm thinking of not rabbit bite that's the that's the uh, the bite spell pray upon that's what i'm thinking of oh, okay yeah i'll correct myself before the discord gets me there you go finally in our rare slot we've got mask wood nexus this is a four drop artifact here's a here's a funny line of text for you creatures you control are every creature type the same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield so this is just everything in your deck everything in your hand all of them are everything so here we've got, uh, as our last ability on this, three, tap, create a 2-2 two, two blue shapeshifter creature token with changeling, which of course means that it is also every creature type. Yeah, so you just windmill slam this, you open uh, the world tree in your next pack, and and off to the races. Oh man, the, uh, the wombo combo. I'm absolutely in to try that. However, 
given that it's the start of the new format and uh, I'm torn between wanting to get some wins in, finding what the good decks are, and just trying out some absolute nonsense. Uh, that being said, I think the correct pick is probably Blizzard Brawl or Doomscar Titan. The the cool pick, and what I would probably do, is the ne- Maskwood Nexus. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Maskwood Nexus is an interesting potential payoff for some of the more um, creature-type-related strategies, like the elf decks. They mm. let you pick up any other utility creatures you might want to get that aren't elves, um, and... and you know, allow those to work into your game plan. But I think those decks tend to be a little too niche to actually like want to start. Like you're you're not really taking a colorless card if you take Maskwood Nexus, right? Like most of the time, you're probably considering this as close to a gold card. I would think mm, it's it definitely really fits a couple of strategies. Yeah, it, it's definitely more of a green card. I don't think you can just put this in a red white deck and hope for it to work. Right. Uh, I, I do think this is a pretty bad rate, all things considered. This is four mana to not really affect the board of the game state at all, and then three mana to start making two twos. That's yeah. nothing to write home about. This would have been great like 15 years ago <laughs> but uh yeah. in modern magic we're looking for our one mana removal spells and our you know five four hastes right yeah definitely so what's so that, your pick here uh yeah i think i think i'm on the blizzard bra as well mm-hmm. as, as well you're implying that uh that i would actually take the blizzard brawl it being the correct pick instead of Maskwood nexus the oh fun sure, sure. sorry you, you mentioned that if you weren't going to take the nexus you would be taking the brawl <laughs> or the titan so uh, yeah that, I, oh no I'm, I'm obviously taking the nexus yeah, uh, yeah of course do as i say not as i do <laughs> Speaking of, uh, I, I guess maybe that's a, a segue. <laughs> um, that brings us to our Teferi Tibble. If you're new to the show, this is the section where Ben and I go over uh, something great that happened, the Teferi, and something terrible that happened, the Tibble. Um, and maybe some changes to that coming based on our listener questions, which we'll get to. Uh, but but yeah, something of the last week that went well and something that went poorly. So Ben, why don't you kick us off with that? Yeah, sure thing. So I'll start with my Tibble this week. It's the end of the marking period. I told you before the show started that I actually spent an extra like hour today in school uh, writing exams and starting to make those up. And then thinking about how even once I have all this, I'm going to have to grade all those exams. And then thinking about even after I grade all those exams, I still haven't graded all the labs yet from a week ago. And then I realized that I'm also doing a lab this week, so I'm going to have to grade those. And uh, well, yeah, you get a a bit of a a storm on the horizon. And then you realize Kaldheim's coming out this week, and you're not going to be able to get Uh, any of those things graded. Yeah, obviously, I have priorities. I'm going to play called <laughs> like uh yeah so i'm just gonna try to work as hard as i can while i'm in school and potentially stay after although the the long days and i had a snow day yesterday weirdly enough oh, um, wow. didn't really snow much it's kind of more of a slush yeah i was gonna say we hardly got any snow and we're not that far from you no yeah it, it kind of threw off my schedule though it was nice to have a, a little break but the switch back to full virtual for one day as long uh, you know it, in addition to the, the looming stresses of teaching uh, in a school while COVID is happening is uh, a lot for anybody, I think. Yeah. That being said, uh, my Teferi for the week, I came home today to find a few packages on my door uh, from some uh, unnamed card ordering services. And uh, let me see if I hold this one up to the camera. Y- you recognize this guy? That's a three fairy, folks. It's Teferi Time Reveler. He's showing me on, on camera at the moment. Yeah. And uh, here's a card that I've actually never owned before. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that, that is the literal counterspell. Uh-huh. I've never literal actually owned a counter spell. counterspell. Um, people tend to think of me as the mid-range and occasionally, more recently, aggro player. Uh, I like going as mid-rangey as it gets. Give me planeswalkers, give me siege rhinos, give me tireless trackers, and I'm a happy camper. However, in my commander playgroup recently, I got kind of stomped on. 
while I was playing Bruna, uh, who's a, a Voltron Aura's commander. Uh, I realized it was it was the first commander deck I ever made. It needed some upgrades, and it's time to show my playgroup that I'm not just the typecast mid-range Selvala player. Uh, I too know how to play blue cards. I'm just going to jam this deck full of brainstorms and serum visions and counter spells, and of course the usual Aura payoffs, and uh, start giving my fellow blue friends a taste of their own medicine. <laughs> I'm curious to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. How about you? Well, for me, uh, I, I'll i start with my Teferi. I had a very productive week. It's been been a very nice um, self-improvement week, I suppose. Mm. Um, I've been getting way more organized. I've been very focused on trying to organize, like physically organize the space around me and, and nice. likewise try to organize my thoughts and keep myself focused. <laughs> um, I'm working on launching a new blog, which which should be fun. Um, mm. Any of you who, who were in the Runeterra space may know that I blogged about Runeterra for a little while. I worked for uh, a site called Runeterra CCG where I, I wrote regular blog posts there, but uh, this is more of a lifestyle blog. Probably won't be writing about magic at all. Um, mm just more of uh, getting my thoughts on paper kind of thing, potentially mm. just talking about different things that I use, or I, I'm also a big fan of photography, so probably writing about some of that stuff as well. Um, it's and good, also, too. Oh, thanks. Um, I also started my first main project at work as well, so that, you know, it's just been overall a very productive week, which has been great. I'm a little exhausted, but, um, you know, I, I'll take what I can get. Mm. And then, of course, call time's coming out, so, you know, I can't, can't be <laughs> upset from that either. Yeah. My Tybalt is that, unfortunately, I don't know if any of you are aware of this, but there are only 24 hours in a day, and that's not enough time to do all the things that I want to be doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I've said a few times that if I could take a pill of some sort that would prevent me from having to sleep, just to get back that extra third of my day, I would do it in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Hands down. I mean, I really enjoy sleeping. Like, it feels great to sleep. But if I didn't actually have to do it, I certainly wouldn't. No way. I don't want to spend a third of my entire life doing some stasis thing, just <laughs> sitting still. No, absolutely not. Yeah. It could be drafting. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that brings us to our listener questions of the week. We'll start off. We have two this week. Uh, we'll start off. Wolverine asks, what is your favorite magic mechanic of all time? We read this a couple of days ago, I think at least. And both of us started scratching our heads. This was a tough question, Wolverine. Mm-hmm. So I've actually come up with two answers. Uh, one is my favorite, like, I guess, evergreen mechanic. And then the other is my favorite specific set mechanic, I guess. So I'll start with my evergreen trample. I love trample. The ability to trample through, uh, something just feels right about it. Something feels mechanically correct that, you know, if you have a dinosaur that has trample, there's no way a 1-1 soldier token is going to be able to stand in the way of, of, you know, protecting my dinosaur from getting through, right? It feels flavorful. Yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. My favorite set-specific mechanic, gotta go with Investigate. This one's probably oh, yeah. from uh, before a lot of people's time, but this was from our second trip to Innistrad. We have another one coming up. I, I doubt we'll be getting Investigate again. It was kind of centered on the flavor of uh, something strange happening on Innistrad. No one really knowing what it was. Of course, it ended up being Emrakul. Now, in those clues, there was actually uh, a, a whole lore story unto itself. Magic players, uh, I, I guess I should probably explain the mechanic first. So um, let me talk about Thraven Inspector. This is one white for a one-two. Uh, it's probably like a human soldier or something. And when it enters the battlefield, you investigate. So when you investigate, you create a clue, which is a colorless token. It has pay two, sacrifice this artifact to draw a card. So it's a, it's a nice little card draw mechanic. It's smoothing. Uh, and then, of course, there were clue synergies when you... Uh, you'd call it cracking a clue. When you cracked a clue, you could go and do a certain thing or cracked a clue, look at the top few cards. Um, 
one of my favorite cards in the set was Tamiyo's Journal, where you could crack three clues to tutor your library, and then you'd investigate every upkeep. It's part of one of my favorite decks uh, at the time. It was kind of like a green-white clues deck. And of course, Tireless Tracker. Whenever a land enters the battlefield, you investigate, and whenever you crack a clue, she gets a 1-1 counter. So something about clues has always just felt right to me. Now what I was going to say is that in the art and the flavor text on the clues, it actually hinted that the Eldrazi were coming back to Innistrad. Uh, people were like freaking out when they saw it, looking at pouring over the pages, uh, so to speak, which actually was a card from that set, I believe. Um, trying to figure out what you know what what was going on. And they analyzed the flavor text of each of the cards and found that if you took one word from each of the uh, each of the uh, clues, it spelled out, remember they came as three, which I believe was a quote that Ugin said to Jace uh, uh, like a while ago about the Eldrazi or something like that. So it, it was a great time. I love everything about clues. Got to give them my all-time favorite mechanic. Plus, I like drawing cards. Yeah, so, I mean, kind of along that line, for an evergreen mechanic, and maybe I'm skirting the line of what you can really call an evergreen mechanic, because it doesn't have a keyword, but draw a card is my favorite mechanic <laughs> in Magic. Like, just full stop. Um, what about cycling? That that says draw a card on it. That's fine. Yeah, I guess I guess cycling, we'll, we'll give that, but it's not technically evergreen at this mm, point. Yeah. Um, so I would say, well, I'll say cycling just, just for... for for the sake of that uh that argument mm-hmm. there um outside of cycling that's a it's a tough question because i like a lot of different mechanics i like the weird ones fortel is probably going to be one of my favorites uh going forward just because Maybe I like, you're a fan of morph yeah i was a big fan of morph i like the uh the whole mind game aspect of things um mm. And, you know, plus one, plus one counters are kind of cool when I play con- uh, creature decks. I'm a fan of those. But most of the decks that I like to play are, are and honestly, the real, the real like, down to my core answer to this question is Mill. But, you yeah. know, I, I can't be that guy who goes on a podcast and tells everybody that Mill's his favorite mechanic. That would be ridiculous. Well, you just did, so oh, shoot. <laughs> congrats. Well, next up, uh, Rob Dies at the End asks, in light of the fact that the new Tybalt may be better than M21 Teferi, are you going to make your Teferi Tybalt segment into something where you tell us something kind of good that happened and then something really good that happened? <laughs> I love this question. This is hilarious. I, hopefully Tybalt actually is good. He's never had an... Well, I guess Rakish Investigator actually was a decent card and does see play in a number of formats. So it's not fair to say that he never had a good card, but his first iteration was just so laughably bad that mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever have we'll ever ever be able to change it. That's the thing. I think we should look at extremes here. I guess we can look at like how this Teferi, uh, this M21 Teferi was just fine. But if we look at something like Teferi Hero of Dominaria or uh, Three Fairy uh, Teferi Time Raveler, and then look at like the average Tybalt. So Tybalt from War of the Spark was fine, and Tybalt from this set is good. But I think Teferi on average, we could even go back. Teferi Mage of Zalfir is also a pretty busted card. Yep. So I think on average we've had much better Teferis than we have Tybalts. I don't know, maybe we could... Uh, something about the original table being just so absurdly bad, I think still earns at this place. I think if we start even considering like relative magnitudes, it's just eons worse than yeah. many of the, I don't know, even worse planeswalkers. And I don't think we can count, count the uncommon ones uh, because sure. I think we're talking about like, if we're talking about relative power level of planeswalkers, I think we should probably just look at the rares and mythics. Yeah, you have to keep rarity like, in mind too. Yeah. But it, you have, uh, like, you have to remember too, I mean, you specifically, not the listener, because I, I think we've mentioned it once or twice, but there's a, there's there's an inside joke there with Tybalt with us as well because mm, you went yeah. on that whole Innistrad pack <laughs> opening streak where you overpaid for Innistrad packs and then their last one opened Tybalt. Like that's just the biggest letdown of the century. So you know, yeah, I, I think yeah, I, think I wanted an Avison. Yeah, well, you could have just bought an Avison. You probably spent more on packs than you than the Avison would have cost. 
I did. I did spend more. <laughs> I was a child. I didn't know how money worked. I didn't know how to count. I didn't know. I could simply order things online. This was this was uh, uh, before, you know, I was part of the, you know, group of people who listened to the professor's uh, various just buy singles rants. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. now I know. All right, yeah, so we're on to our Kaldheim format breakdown show. This time, like I mentioned, we've changed our format a little bit. Uh, typically, we dive right into the two color archetypes, and then we talk about the five commons and uncommons in each color for those archetypes that fit that archetype, and then we move on. This time around, we're going to start with the individual colors, each of the five individual colors, before we go on to the signpost uncommons, and then talk a little bit more abstractly about what each archetype is trying to do as a plan, rather than specifying a bunch of specific cards without really talking too much about what the archetype's trying to do. Um, so we'll go through the individual colors we'll give our top three cards in that color at the start and maybe what that individual color is trying to do by itself and then we'll we'll get onto the the multicolor archetypes so ben why don't you kick us off with white sure so for white in general it's going to be an aggressive color in this set it's kind of uh winning by attacking that's going to be the primary game plan for white decks and we're going to have a double spell theme now when we say these kinds of things these are just general overviews i'm not saying necessarily that every single white deck has this but we did look through the entire spoiler we poured through it and we found what they tended to support so we found that there's a lot of cheap spells a lot of things that are good at attacking some power Powerful one drops uh, and you know cards that are going to win the game via attacks. So we have a few top white commons to be on the lookout for. We have right now as our top common bound in gold. This is two and a white for an aura. Enchant permanent. Enchanted permanent can't attack, block, or crew vehicles, and its activated abilities can't be activated unless they are mana abilities. This just does it all. Yep. Next up, we've got Doomscar Oracle. This is two and a white for a three-two human cleric. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, you gain two life, and it has foretell for just one white. This card just seems very versatile. Uh, the ability to foretell this on turn two, play it on turn three, and then foretell another card immediately. Uh, this just seems like it goes in every white deck. I feel like there's no white deck that doesn't want this. Yeah, agreed. I, I've seen a lot of people saying this actually is an underrated card, so maybe we placed it higher than a lot of other people are. But uh, yeah, Doomscar Oracle seems great. Mm. My reasoning on this is we've seen three mana three twos add uncommon uh, with gain four life staple to them. This gains you six life, uh, which seems pretty reasonable to do, uh, or potentially even more than you've just got a great common on your hands. Yeah. Last up, we've got Stalwart Valkyrie. This is three and a white for a three two angel warrior with flying, and you may pay one and a white and exile a creature card from your graveyard rather than pay the spell's mana cost. So because white seems to be able to get in early, affect the board early, maybe trade off early, this is going to be pretty easy to cast reliably on turn three uh potentially turn two yeah agreed uh white does have a lot of flyers as well um and so that's going to be one of their other like smaller game plans uh, but a two mana three two flyers is always good how about blue so under blue we've got basically blue is kind of the foretell color um blue white we're gonna see is is kind of the, the foretell archetype but blue seems to have the most uh, foretell cards in and of itself and a lot of them are quite good um so our first blue common here is raven form this is two and a blue for a sorcery exile target artifact or creature its controller creates a one one blue bird creature token with flying and has foretell for a blue so just a, a great removal spell that can be had at one mana yeah sign me up mm -hmm. i've actually come down a little bit on this card since uh since we did our, our ratings i think it's probably still one of the top like 
you know, five or so blue commons. As it is pretty strong unconditional removal, this is going to take care of something like uh, Asika's Chariot or something like that. It, when this is great, it's going to look awesome. However, I don't think this is going to be as good against your, you know, average, like, four mana, three, three that you just need to remove. Because then downgrading into one, one flyer isn't actually that significant. I think this gets a lot better if you have a lot of flyers, too, right, uh, right. that are going to outclass the one, one. Yeah, uh, so I might have come down on it a little. I don't know if I'd still leave it as a top blue common, but uh, in fact, I think our next ones might outshine it a little bit. Sure. Well, our next one is Augury Raven. That's three and a blue for a three-three bird creature at common. It's it has flying and it has foretell for one and a blue. So again, this is a, this could be a potentially a two mana three-three flyer. Uh, if you thought the Star Wars Valkyrie was good, this does come down later than the Valkyrie most likely. But you know, you, there are some shenanigans there on both sides. Um, you're still putting four men into the Raven, but over two turns, it can be pretty big, a pretty big swing there. Mm -hmm. I've been seeing uh, in a few of the games that I watched earlier, a pretty common play pattern of foretell one of these four drops. There's this one and there's one in green that we'll see as well that are both three threes. Uh, foretell this on turn two, just slam the three three on turn three. Yep. Uh, and then our next uh, blue common here is bind the monster. This is blue for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature, when Bind the Monster enters the battlefield, tap Enchanted Creature, it deals damage to you equal to its power. An Enchanted Creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So this is kind of, uh, you know, the the um, bubble snare from Zendikar Rising, though you do take some damage here. Um, I think this is going to be the premium removal for blue in this. Mm -hmm. Yep. So these are a few of our, you know, top comments for the color. There's another one that I wanted to look out for. I think it's like a like a 2-4, but if you have something that shares two creature types that comes in with a counter on it, maybe that's an uncommon. I don't know. I was thinking about that one as well. Blue seems to be pretty good in this set. It has a lot of ways of manipulation, uh, whether it's drawing cards or interacting with opponent's creatures. Seems like a recipe for success, especially when you're cheating costs on it with Fortel. Yeah, definitely. Next up in black, we've got you know, the usual uh, kind of black game plan of great removal, graveyard shenanigans, a good amount of recursion, especially through some of the multicolored sagas. So black decks are going to tend to win games by kind of grinding a little bit. Uh, they can get aggressive as well, especially in the black-white deck where they're trying to double spell and play some of these... Uh, smaller creatures that get in early, but they also have the ability to go kind of late. So up first we have Feed the Serpent. This is two black black for an instant exile target creature or planeswalker. Wow. <laughs> All right. Yep. Just nothing, nothing to say here. Yep. Awesome. Love it. Next up is Way Down. This is one black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast a spell, exile a creature card from your graveyard. Target creature gets minus two, minus three until on a turn. We were actually back and forth on this one. Uh, we were talking about whether this was up there or if it, other things should be up here instead. But I, I do like this in our top three commons right now. Imagine that this just says uh, one black creature gets minus two, minus three. Can't cast it until turn three. Like, right, yeah. Or something like that, right? Yep. This gets a little better if you have ways to, say, mill or fill your own graveyard too. And last up, uh, we have Jarl the Forsaken. This is three and a black for a 3-2 zombie cleric with flash. When Jarl the Forsaken enters the battlefield, to destroy target creature or planeswalker, an opponent controls that was dealt damage this turn, and it has foretell for just one of the black. I've been yeah. pretty impressed with this kind of effect in, in recent sets. The one that Corey are really overperformed, uh, and giving this one foretell just seems like it makes it even better. Yeah, it makes it a lot less annoying to keep up, right? Holding up four mana is a big tell, whereas in this case, 
holding up two is really not giving too much information to your opponent and you're not wasting anything if for whatever reason you don't get that main effect you can still slam that three two and and get on with your day or hold on to it and and waste two mana but at least you didn't waste four mm-hmm. be on the lookout for uh if opponents attack a one one into your five five or consider doing the same thing vice versa yeah true next up we have red uh our usual red comments here right win by attacking you're gonna boast most boast is kind of the 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 red mechanic of the set so be on the lookout for the higher value boast targets um we also go through here our our top commons demon bolt is number one for us two and a red for an instant at common demon bolt deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker and you can foretell it for one red so it's a four damage bolt over two turns basically nice yeah uh next up is frostbite this is red for a snow instant at common has uh frostbite deals two damage target creature or planeswalker and if you control three or more snow permanents it deals three damage instead so another lightning bolt also nice this is just a shock that becomes a lightning bolt can't really argue with that uh can't hit your opponents i guess but you know yeah i mean you're still gonna play this if you have zero snow permanents in your deck that's great and last but not least, if you didn't think we had enough removal spells on these lists, uh, our next up is Squash. This is four and a red for an instant at, at common. This spell costs three less to cast if you control a giant, and Squash deals six damage. That's right, six damage to target creature or planeswalker. So you're telling me I could potentially pay one and a red to deal six at instant speed? Yeah, I heard you liked Royal Eruption, so I gave you <laughs> a better Royal Eruption. Yeah, forget Kicker. I'm just going to start playing Giants. Also, some fantastic art and flavor text. Oh, yeah. Last but not least, we've got Green. So Green seems pretty value-oriented in the set. Uh, It's also going to have the ability to grind out. It also is looking to take advantage of several of the mechanics, including uh, Fortel. However, there's there's some other stuff going on here, too. Some tribal synergies among the elves and some graveyard interaction if you pair it with Black. So up first, we've got Elderleaf Mentor. This is 300 green for a 3-2 elf warrior. When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 green elf warrior creature token. And historically limited, the creature that enters the battlefield and makes another creature has always been one of the best commons in that color. Yeah, yeah, you just... uh Getting two bodies for one card is is just great. Mm-hmm. And similarly, uh, we have Saralf's Packmate. This is three and a green for a three three wolf. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card, and this has foretell for one and a green. Now, I've actually I, I want to bump this one up a little bit. This thing just seems so good. It, it just draws a card. It does everything you want, and the foretell makes it so flexible. Agreed. Yeah, it's just a phenomenal card. Art is fantastic as well. Mm. And last but not least, we've got Struggle for Skemfar. This is three and a green. A sorcery, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control, then that creature fights up to one target creature you don't control, and it has foretell for just one green. This kind of gets around the biggest side effect of uh, these typical four mana fight spells, where they, they add a counter, that, that kind of thing, like hunt the weak, mm-hmm. uh, in that you usually have to play your five drop, five five, and then uh, the next turn after that, hope that it's still alive, and hope that your opponent hasn't drawn removal and decided to leave it up, uh, so that you can then cast your fight spell. Well, what if you just wait till turn six, play your five mana five five, and then have this thing foretold immediately and just get value from it right away. All right, that brings us to our multicolored cards. We're going to go through all of the multicolor archetypes, and we are going to talk about, like I said, more of what the archetype's trying to do rather than the individual cards, but we're still going to highlight the signposts and commons. So first up, we have blue-red. Blue-red is the wizard... No, I'm just kidding. It's actually (laughs) the giant spells matters deck and it's more specifically that that giants matter um and our first uncommon here so one thing to mention as well before we get into all of these each of the multicolor archetypes in this format have two signposts uncommons Mm. almost three it's kind of two and a half Um, one of those is a legendary creature one of those is a saga and one of those is a land um so we'll we'll highlight all of those but i'm just gonna you know lay that out here at the beginning 
So our legendary creature for blue-red is Agar the Freezing Flame. It's one blue-red for a 3-3. Legendary creature, Giant Wizard at Uncommon. Whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess damage. If a giant, wizard, or spell you control dealt damage to it this turn, draw a card. What a sweet design. Yeah, very cool. Art is also phenomenal. Absolutely. This might be my favorite art for the set. You're going to build this commander, aren't you? Probably. <laughs> our next signpost in common is Invasion of the Giants. This is blue-red for a saga. Its uh, first level is Scry 2. On the second turn, you draw a card, then you may reveal a giant card from your hand. When you do, it deals two damage to target opponent or planeswalker. And then the third is the next giant spell you cast this turn costs two less to cast. So this also seems pretty good. Two mana Scry 2 is okay, and then you're, you know, it's drawing your card the next turn anyway. Uh, it also shocks something. Yeah, yeah, this just seems like great upside. And then our land here is Sirtland Frostpire. Um, all of these lands are tapped for one color, and they enter the battlefield tapped. This one happens to tap for red, but then it has an activated ability of two, blue, blue, red. Tap it, sack it. Scry two. It deals two damage to each creature. That's right, each creature also hits your own. Uh, and you can only activate this ability anytime you could activate a sorcery. So what we see here is blue, red is basically giant's tribal. It, it cares a lot about having giants in your deck. Um, you know, you get cost reductions for giants. You have like added benefits to to other cards um, if you have giants on the battlefield spells are generally okay we saw squash was one of the red cards that cares about giants they're generally okay without giants but they get great when you when you have them yeah there is that small excess damage theme but that's basically just agar and Toroff, which is a mythic that care about that so not really a huge deal don't read into that too much um, Frostpire does miss most of your giants because it only deals two, but probably kills just about everything else. So it, it kind of seems weird. It's it's like a, you know, a strange card to have in a deck that's going to be running small creatures, kind of like Cinderclasm we've seen in Zendikar Rising. Mm -hmm. um, we also did the math and, uh, you know, shout out to Sirkovitz as well for, for doing a lot of math before the set came out on various uh, tribal numbers and things like that. But basically, breakdown for giants in the set, because obviously if you have a giant tribal set, you're going to be wondering how many giants are there. So we have 11 total giants, not including the shapeshifters. Eight of those are in common or uncommon, so only three rare plus giants, and then, of course, there are a bunch of shapeshifters. Uh, we do have Craven Hulk as the cheapest giant at four mana, and then there are other the cheapest common giant at, at four mana, and then there are others at five, six, and seven mana. And then uh, Strider is a giant Frostlings, basically, the um, the the blue Berg Strider, which is a five mana, four, four, enters the battlefield, tap target artifact or creature and opponent controls. If Snow was spent to cast the spell, that permanent doesn't untap during its next untap step. So there, there are a number of different things going on with the giants here, but um, what do you think, Ben? Is this deck going to come together that often? It seems sweet. Uh, I, I think if you are in the market for this, you'll probably be able to find it. Uh, if you're, if you're uh, say, the Agar deck, I don't think anybody else really wants the giant. I mean, the, the giants are fine, but there's just not that many. No one's going to be out there just saying like, ooh, I'm going to first pick this, uh, say, giant rare. Uh, there's one that like bounces all stuff except for like giants and wizards or some nonsense like that uh so if you get that there's a good chance you'll be able to move right into blue red um i like this uh this little archetype a lot i think it's a little strange um that there's not that many giants admittedly blue has a good number of shapeshifters right. but and it's kind of strange that the signpost uncommon is such a build around uh and then it's so specific to it it, it kind of warps the game mm -hmm. uh your your spells are going to incidentally work with it it's not i guess a build around and then you have to consider it while drafting it's almost like a play around like the, the game kind of gets shifted drastically when Agar is in play versus not. 
Invasion of the Giants is more just like a, a slow preordain, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just like a, a cheap extra value spell. Yeah, this seems good. Uh, playing big stuff with the blues uh, deck manipulation and ability to kind of go deep on this kind of thing. Yeah, I think it'll come together. It looks sweet. Yeah, and we're going to see, you know, you, you commented there about it, it feeling kind of weird with the legendary creature thing. Um, we're going to see a lot of the signposts uncommon here. The legendary creatures are seemingly commander plants because some of them don't really seem to fit very well with what the rest of the archetypes trying to do but that that's going to be a recurring theme speaking of which let's get into red green where we have kind of a, a ramp but also power theme uh this one seems split right down the middle between our two signpost uncommons so we have svela ice shaper which is one red green for a two four legendary snow creature a troll warrior she has pay three tap create a colorless snow artifact token named icy manolith with tap add one mana of any color so that's three to get one back immediately uh, okay that's not that bad and then you have six red green tapper look at the top four cards of your library you may cast a spell from among them without paying its mana cost put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order this is golos <laughs> yeah this is a weird card because it's like how many you know how many eight plus mana cards in limited are you really going to have in your deck and how many of them are then going to be in the top four cards of your library it just seems like a very weird limited card i don't i don't expect to take this very highly i'm absolutely going to try it one place i see this going well is the uh the mythical five color ramp nonsense deck in which case uh that's mana fixing right there that's fair yeah, uh, it seems interesting given that Red Green also seems to be wanting to attack. As we see here in Arnie Slays the Troll, this is Red and a Green for a Saga. Target creature you control fights up to one target creature you don't control for the first uh, lore lore step. The first, what, what do we call this? The first step of the saga? Sure. First chapter, I think. First chapter, that works. Second chapter, add one red, put two 1-1 one, one counters on up to one target creature you control. And the third, you gain life equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. So this is essentially red-green to have a fight immediately. Uh, and it is up to one, so it's not you know guaranteed. Then you add that one red mana and put two 1-1 one, one counters. So if you just get the fight from this, that's pretty good. One in a, uh, a red-green for a fight spell at sorcery speed, that's also pretty solid. Red green's gonna play that no matter what. Then you get some extra value from the counters and uh, one red mana, which I don't know, maybe you're ramping into something like a five drop a little early. And then finally you gain life equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. I suppose could help in a race. Uh, it's a little bonus on top. So this one seems to imply that your creature's gonna be you know, hitting the board and attacking, while Svela seems to uh, suggest that you're gonna be you know, defending and ramping. Kind of strange. They don't really play well together. You probably won't see them in the same deck that often. Your deck would have a bit of a fractured game plan. But I don't know. Svela seems like she's capable of taking over the late game. Maybe you would put her in a red-green kind of beatdown deck if you just wanted some late game potential. Mm -hmm. And finally, we have Not Vold Slumber Mount. This is a land, enters the battlefield tapped. It's red. You can pay three red-green-green. Tap not fold some around. Destroy target land. Create a 4-4 green troll warrior creature token with trample. I like this one a little bit more than the previous one. This is a land that you can use to blow up maybe potentially one of their value lands, like a snow land or one of their uncommons like these. And then you get a 4-4 with trample. Like this is a real creature. Yeah, yeah, it's solid. Definitely one of the better. I mean, it is six mana for a 4-4, but you're destroying a, an opponent's land while you're losing yours at the same time. So I guess it's actually seven.
seven mana uh, for a four four. But but you do set your opponent a turn back, which I think adds a lot of value to that as well. Um, and a four four trample is is not something to sneeze at. Yeah. So if you wind up in red green, start looking for just big dumb beaters. Maybe ways to ramp into it. Uh, stuff like Haggy Mob or the yeah, the Snow Elf that taps or rather untaps a land, so you can ramp out some of these things a little bit early. Red green seems to want to kind of ignore some of the more subtle elements of the set: the foretell, the the, the boasting, the nonsense, and just you know beat face. So that brings us to black white. Black white is kind of the angels and second spell archetype. They care a lot about having multiple spells cast in the same turn, and of course, angels is the the kind of creature subtype for the colors. Our first signpost uncommon here is Furia, Judge of Valor. This is two white, black, black for a two four legendary creature, angel cleric at uncommon. It has flying and lifelink. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the rest into your graveyard. Yeah, great two four flying lifelink that draws you a card when you cast extra spells i mean again you're probably going to trigger this two times and you're happy and then once you start triggering it it makes it way easier to keep triggering it very true in fact yeah. there's almost a consideration of milling yourself out with this card yeah yeah it's definitely going to be something to look out for um if you build your deck in such a way that you're expecting you're going to be able to do the second spell thing regularly by then you should win the game anyway right i would hope so our next uncommon here is ascent of the worthy this is the saga it is one white black and the first two chapters say choose a creature you control until your next turn all damage that would be dealt to creatures you control is dealt to that creature instead and the third chapter return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a flying counter on it that creature is an angel warrior in addition to its other types so this one's kind of cute it does the thing that you expect it to do you can either if you have a big creature that that can take a lot of punishment you can use that for the same two chapters and maybe it dies in the second chapter and you bring it back or you lose two creatures but you get to bring something back and it gets better when you do presumably uh this seems pretty sweet yeah the first two chapters sometimes just won't do anything uh <laughs> maybe your opponent doesn't attack or maybe you uh you choose a creature, but then they, they blow it out with a removal spell, or maybe there's just no way to actually get this to do anything. I definitely could see certain situations where those first two chapters are pretty worthless. However, if you can get a big enough thing in the graveyard, returning it to the battlefield with a flying counter on it is pretty significant. And this does just ca- count, uh, does this cost three mana. So maybe you could think of this as like a, a slow, suspended reanimation spell yeah, that yeah. your opponent can potentially play around. I don't know. I'm going to try it. Uh, but those first two chapters, I'm dubious of, of uh, how effective they'll be at you know doing anything. Yeah, it's interesting because even at three mana, like how many creatures are you getting back with this that you're really excited to get back with if you played Mm -hmm. this on three? At least, you know, by turn five when you're about to hit the third chapter, if you played this on three, you might have some bigger creatures out. Your creatures are going to trade regardless of of what's going on and, you know, hopefully you're getting something back with this anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But our our next uncommon here, the the land is Great Hall of Starnheim. This is a black land, enters battlefield tapped, and it has an activated ability of white, white, black, tap, sack, Great great Hall of Starnheim, and a creature you control. So not you're not just sacking the land, but you're also sacking your creature. And mm. you create a 4-4 white angel warrior creature token with flying and vigilance, and you can only activate this anytime you could cast a sorcery. You know, up until this point, I never read that and a creature you control part. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting cost. Black-white does have a few ways of generating tokens, and of course, black has infinite graveyard recursion. Uh, I don't know. It still seems pretty good. I'm sure you could find a way to use this. Maybe they've put uh, an aura on your creature. You need to sack it to get out under that. This seems versatile enough that you're going to put it in any black-white deck. Yeah, so overall, we see black-white caring about those multiple cards uh, in a turn, multiple spells per turn. Um, that's going to make you're going to want basically a good mix of the cheap and foretell cards to, to really get those triggers reliably. Probably going to be able to build a hyper-aggressive version of this 
topping out with something like Dogged Pursuit. That was a kind of a, a hot take from Ben that you're going to see mm. um, something like, you know, one drop, two drop, three drop. You're taking a million. My four drop is Dog Pursuit. And now you just, you know, you're at six or seven or whatever. Now you just can't win. Hopefully mm-hmm. that's that's a thing that'll be fun. Otherwise, I don't think Dog Pursuit's going to be a very good card. I'll try it and make it I work. Don't will. worry. <laughs> uh, of course there are some graveyard synergies but as we've seen with some of like ascent of the worthy they could fall flat if you're if you have only very small creatures so probably that hyper aggressive version isn't going to care too much about the recursiveness of black in this format um, mm. angels obviously provide a very powerful payoff and this deck has plenty of early action as well to kind of make sure that you can get to those uh more expensive angels we have cards like infernal pet the uh the two and a black two two that we talked about earlier that gets counters and gains flying and then there's code spell cleric in white which is white for a 1-1 vigilant human cre- human cleric a common when code spell cleric enters the battlefield if it was the second spell you cast this turn put a 1-1 counter on it on target creature nice yeah i mean this archetype seems set up to do a couple interesting things i'm curious to see how uh, how aggressive and then also on the other end how not really controlling but furia kind of tends towards a, a, more, a slower game plan Mm-hmm. Uh, just to see what this deck can do. I don't know. I've always liked Black, White, and Limited. I'm excited to try this one out, especially with Angels running around Uncommon. Not to mention, uh, a lot of the white rares are just these like busted three-drop flying angels. It's like true. There's like there's like four or five three-drop rare or mythic rare flyers that all just are, are great. So excited to play this one. Next up, we've got Black Green. It's got an Elves theme in this set. A little bit of graveyard value, a little bit of recursion as well. Uh, First up, we've got Harold, King of Skemfar, who is one black green for a 3-2 legendary elf warrior with menace. When Harold, King of Skemfar, enters the battlefield, you look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an elf, warrior, or Tyvar card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I'm absolutely going to be going for that Tyvar achievement. We'll see if that ever happens, Naturally. but maybe a little more for the constructed players. I don't know. This seems pretty great. Uh, it's a three mana, three, two menace that's almost always going to draw you a card. I mean, it's going to be hard to find cards in green or black that aren't either an elf or warrior, right? Yeah, yeah. Next up, we've got Binding of the Old Gods. This is two black green for a saga. Chapter one, destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. I don't even really care what the rest of this says, yeah, right? right? It's just a four mana <laughs> removal spell, which is hitting anything. <laughs> yeah, the four mana destroy non-land permanent, I'm in. Sold. Next up, search your library for a forest card. Notably, it doesn't have to be basic. Put it on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Okay, so it's a death sprout, but that only hit creatures, right? So this is just a better yeah. death sprout? Yeah, yeah. Just better death sprout. And then chapter three, I don't even care what this says. Creatures you control gain death touch another turn. Yeah, sure, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like you've already won the game by this point. Yeah. You're, you're blown up their best thing, ramping, and then pumping all your stuff with death touch for the ability to swing in. Ooh, you know it'd be cool. What is about the uh, the death toucher that whenever a creature with death touch deals damage to a player, your stuff uh, gives a poison counters? Mm-hmm. Do yeah, I smell the, uh, a wombo combo? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I mean, if they happen to have a million creatures out, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, one, okay. one turn kill. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try it. Next up, we've got Skemfar Elder Hall. Enters the battlefield tapped. Taps are green. You can pay two black, black, green. Sacrifice it. Up to one target creature you don't control gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Create two one one green elf warrior creature tokens and it's sorcery speed. Okay, it's a removal spell on a land and it makes some tokens. This isn't one of the big yeah. flashy effects. Uh, some of these like reanimate creatures or make these big powerful things, but this deck cares about having elves and I guess, you know, removing a, an opponent's small creature isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but this seems one of the lesser powered tap lands. Yeah. So 
Again, um, elf tribal, right? Elf ball. Uh, this deck seems to be able to enable some pretty cool things, including the Death Knell Berserker Demonic Gifts synergy. I think those are two cards that could potentially wind up in this deck anyway, as you're trying to go wide, so Demonic Gifts might just be decent okay, uh, as is. And Death Knell Berserker is an elf, incidentally. So, black-green. Uh, I've, I've kind of been kind of sad in recent sets to see black-green not really have a strong identity. Mm -hmm. uh, we really saw this suffer in the last set, where we had black-green counters, but it just did not get there compared to some of the black green decks in the past and every once in a while black green ends up kind of stiffed with you know just black green value black green good stuff and look i'm not going to complain i love that but uh it is cool to see black green with a little bit more of a uh, a tribal identity so you're going to be killing some stuff you're going to be recurring but maybe you're going to be looking to get some more uh elf payoffs as well notably shapeshifters or elves and there's quite a few of those in green yeah, green and blue are the two main shapeshifter shapeshifter colors, so be on the lookout for those as well. So that brings us to green white. Green white is the plus one plus one counters theme for the for the uh, for the format. Uh, very loose though. It's it's like a loose plus one plus one counters theme. It doesn't really have any major payoffs or enablers besides you know once you hit rare and and higher. Can definitely win games with an aggressive start though. Um, and our first uncommon here is Maya. I assume is how it's pronounced. Uh, Maja. <laughs> Maja, yeah. The, the the way all Americans would pronounce it. Um, of course. Maya, the Bret uh, Breta Guard Protector. Jeez, I can't say that. Uh, anyway, Maya is two green, white, white for a two, three human warrior. She's a legendary. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, create a one, one white human warrior creature token. So, uh, universal Lord and makes warriors. Sure. I suppose mm. that's fine. It, it is a five mana two, three, but, and, and she doesn't, notably, she doesn't pump herself, but mm. you know, it seems okay. Our saga for blue, uh, for white green rather is follow the imposter one green white for saga for the first two chapters it's put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature and then the third chapter is exile a creature with the greatest power among creatures target opponent controls so you know beef your guys up and then get rid of their biggest threat seems decent uh, for three mana it's not too bad if you, have, if you have yeah this is one of those situations kind of like the um the what was it the uh the black uh, white one are you thinking one? yeah the black white one uh basically like yeah the to the worthy if you have no creatures on board, this is just like three mana, wait two turns, and then get rid of one of their things. Mm. Eh, probably not amazing, but that's fine, I guess. It does. It, it might make them stall because they know that you have the removal on the board, um, so they may not play out their bigger threats until uh, this is gone, which could be good. Uh, notably, if you want to try something really ill-advised, you could put counters on their creature to give it the highest power. That's true, yeah, <laughs> but, you uh, have to target your own stuff. I don't know if that's really how you want to use this just saying probably not. you can't probably not and then our land here is bredegard stronghold it's a uh, taps for green and it has an activated ability of green white white tap sack it put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures you control they gain vigilance and lifelink until end of turn and activate it only when you could cast a sorcery so again That's this brutal. is it is That's better than the, better than the saga right <laughs> yeah i mean honestly it, it it does feel like that because you know you get to spread those counters out over two creatures in one turn they get Vigilance, Lifelink. I mean, you're not getting the removal aspect, but it does seem pretty decent. This kind of feels weird. It's like a, an archetype that wants... It's like the typical, like, green-white tokens strategy, go-wide tokens. But, you know, Maya suggests, like, the potential to go wide, but then is pretty flimsy on her own. Kind of an army in a can, I guess, uh, with mm. Landfall. Also kind of weird that they didn't actually keyword this Landfall, and then they gave it a Landfall ability anyway. Like, I don't know. I feel like they could have been more creative with that. The same thing happened with... Uh, with Tireless Tracker, funnily enough, who was printed right after, uh, was it Battle for Zendikar? Battle, yeah. Or, yeah, like, and everyone was saying, 
Yeah, everyone was saying, we just saw Landfall, everyone still remembers, like, what are you right. doing? Uh, but, you know, same exact idea here. I, I like Maya quite a bit. I, I mean, there's going to be times when you just cast her, and you already have, like, four creatures on the board, and then your opponent's just kind of looking at the board like, oh my god, I can't block these things anymore. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are a number of other cards at Common that, that handle giving counters of things. You've got Guardian Gladewalker at, in green, which is a two-mana 1-1 one, one changeling that uh, ETB puts put a plus, plus one, plus one counter on target creature, and then there's Axe Guard, Braggard, and White, which is three and a white for a 3-3. Three, three. Dwarf Warrior with Boast for two. Untap, uh, Axe Guard, Braggart, and then put a 1-1 one, one counter on it. Um, so he can make himself pretty big, and you know that makes him more likely to attack in with the Boast effect. But overall, I'm skeptical as to how powerful the actual like dedicated plus one plus one counters deck will be i think it's going to mm. be a good incidental addition to the arc to the to the format but uh, i'm curious to see just how wide this deck can go or how tall it can go next up we've got well it's funny i got this one red white equipment uh slash enchantments slash tokens uh th- this one covers a few bases so the r's and equipment seem pretty solid this time around the, the rune cycle drawing cards immediately is really great uh and the Equipment being kind of a also living weapon esque in that they can uh, the, at least the uncommon cycle can make tokens to attach themselves to right away. So first up, we've got Cole the Forge Master. This is red white for a two two legendary dwarf warrior. Whenever another non token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped, return it to its owner's hand. Ooh, I smell an eggs combo in, in constructed. <laughs> uh, and secondary uh, creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one plus one. Huh, so this kind of covers both when you have a non or non token thing. Uh, you know, a creature is going to help recur it. That's pretty great. Uh, you attack in. They maybe want to trade, uh, but now they're not incentivized to because you're just going to get the creature back. This plays really well with enter the battlefield effects. And of course, if they don't trade, you're just going to get in for damage. And that seems to be what Red Wind wants to do anyway. And then this kind of mitigates the uh, the downside of maybe equipping a token with an enchantment or equipment uh, because then it gets buffed a little bit. This notably just hard buffs the equipment that come down and make the tokens on themselves. Next up, uh, we've got kind of a continuation of the story here, forging the Tyrite sword, uh, which Cole is hard at work at in, in his art. Uh, we've got one red-white for a saga. The first two chapters are create a treasure token, and the third chapter is search your library for a card named Halvar God of Battle or an equipment card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. You know, out of all these, this is the first uh, signpost uncommon that I think is just stone-cold unplayable. Yeah, it's just bad. I mean... Even if you have Halvar, it's just like, what are you really doing? Yeah, I'm not even sure if you want to put it in your deck if you have Halvar and like one right. other art, artifact or something. So like, then what, what's the point? What else is it there for? Uh, really cool art, though. True. Next up, we've got Axe Guard Armory. This is uh, a land that enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for white. You can pay one red, red, white. Tap, sack it. Search your library for an aura card and or an equipment card. Reveal them, put them in your hand, and shuffle your library. So this could potentially draw you two relevant cards. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not awful, um, and it's really heavily going to depend on the auras and the equipments that you have. But it could also potentially draw you three cards if one of those auras happens to be a rune. Mm -hmm. So here's a question about this format. Are the red-white decks going to be able to play out their two-drop, three-drop, equip something, fool around with this kind of nonsense? When other decks are 
going bigger. So an aggressive deck uh, like this, will it be able to curve out fast? Or, you know, will it be wasting its time with all this nonsense while the bigger decks are doing stuff like foretelling and playing uh, things cheaper than they should be, getting these mana discounts and uh, potentially getting extra value from from stuff like that? I don't know. It seems like if this deck doesn't get there immediately, it could just get run over in the long game by a deck that's playing, what, like, Saros Packmate? Like, doesn't that just brick wall this entire, like, everything? <laughs> Basically, yeah, I think I think what this deck's gonna want to do is the fast decks of this of this archetype because I think that's what they tried for. They wanted to mitigate like we can't have a super aggressive red white archetype because then Fortel is just dead, right? You mm-hmm. if if you can't take turn two off every now and then, you can't really foretell very often yeah. uh, proactively. So I think they intended to slow slow it down a little bit. I think what this deck is gonna really rely on are the flyers in white and equipping and and souping them up so that they can get through because then you don't really care if your opponent's getting bigger on the ground. You're still just getting in for damage on the, in the air. Mm, we do have that cheap one drop raptor with the uh, the one right. two first strike. We've got Starnheim Courser, the two and a white for a two two Pegasus with flying uh, artifact and enchantment spells. Uh, you cast cost one less. So we've got options. Yep. There's definitely ways to uh, to get through here, and notably a lot of tutoring, which I do think is a cool design direction. I, I like where this is going. Uh, we have a bunch of red-white uncommons, and it, it, there's multiple instances of like tutoring and drawing cards. That's a good sign for the future. I just don't know if this is the right set for this to get there. Yeah, we'll see. Definitely going to keep an eye out on this archetype for sure. Next up is Red Black. This is kind of the, as we've come to know and love, the sack reanimate archetype. Um, in this case, our legendary creature is another one that feels like a commander plant. We have Carter Doom Scourge. This is two black red for a 4-3 legendary demon berserker. When Carter Doom Scourge enters the battlefield until your next turn, creatures your opponents control attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. Very Wait a minute. What the other player? <laughs> And whenever an attacking creature dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. That that part is probably going to be relevant in limited. Um, definitely shaping up to feel aggressive, right? If you're attacking, like you want your attacking stuff to die, like you just want to start sending stuff in the red zone. So that, mm. that makes a lot of sense. Um, our saga here is two black red. The first chapter is you may sacrifice a creature. When you do, Carter Carter's Vicious Return deals three damage to any target. Okay, turn build your own lightning bolt that's fine mm-hmm. um second chapter is each player discards a card and the third chapter is return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield put a plus one plus one counter on it and it gains haste until your next turn so this this gives you two different instances to get a creature in your graveyard if you don't have something to sack then you know the first chapter basically does nothing the second chapter forces you to discard that's not really a may but you're gonna so you're gonna be filling your library or filling your graveyard up Discard mm, a big thing then. Right. And just reanimate it on uh, the third chapter. That seems good. Exactly. And then we have Immersturm Skull Cairn. This is the land. It taps for black, enters battlefield tapped, and is has an activated ability of one black, red, red, tap, sack it. It deals three damage to target player. That player discards a card. Activate only anytime you can cast a sorcery. That's pretty dope. That that sounds really good. Definitely winning the uh tongue twister contest for card naming. Very true, very true. I am not gonna be able to pronounce that very often correctly. Um <laughs> Yeah, so obviously this this deck has a lot of sacrifice synergies. There are a lot of graveyard synergies. Look out for cards that that die into other creatures. You may want to actually be attacking into like making attacks that seem wrong uh, to try to get value out of these reanimation themes. We'll see how that plays out um, and how these decks come together. The um, there there is that that combo of Haggy Mob and Rune of Mortality, which. Haggy Mob allows you to ping things, and Rune of Mortality gives your creatures Death Touch, so you can kind of get going with the uh, the little Death Touch ping or the machine gun effect, as it were. Mm. Um, also, keep an eye out for two drops like Immersturm Raider. This is 
one red for a 2-1 Demon Berserker at common. When it enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do draw a card, this is kind of the Fissure Wizard of the set. Uh, we typically see at least one of these rummaging-type uh, effects on a 2-drop. Keep an eye out for that. There's also Village Rites, which is a bl is black for uh, an instant at common that says sack a creature, draw two cards. That'll be very good fodder for this deck as well. Mm, also some sick art on Village Rites. Yeah, I like this one a lot more than the last iteration of this card. Agreed. Next up, we've got Blue Black. This one's got a few things going on, but Snow and Reanimator are two of them, and this one's going to take a more controlling aspect to winning the game. So it's got a pretty loose uh, set of, of uh, signposts on commons here. They're not really pointing in, in the same direction. Let's start off with uh, probably the, the most ridiculously named character in the set, Narfi, Betrayer King. I don't know, when I'm thinking of a 4-3 legendary snow creature zombie wizard, I'm not thinking Narfi. Yeah, what? that's true. It sounds more like a pixie or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, although I will say this thing's pretty menacing. Other snow and zombie creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and you can pay snow, 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 return Narfi Betrayer King from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Hmm, nice. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure how often you're going to get there on the triple snow thing. Uh, it's definitely going to be doable, uh, but mm -hmm. you know we'll have to see exactly how frequently that's doable. Uh, there are other zombie creatures, so his lording situation is going to be decent. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. You know how many of those are really playable. Yeah, snow concerns me uh, because if you're taking snow cards highly, then you're giving up high draft picks that you could otherwise be spending on taking removal or just good creatures, and then you're doing that for what? Like hoping to to get there. The thing is. Uh, we often say that it's occasionally worth taking lands in other sets, like maybe dual lands that have like you know gained a life or uh, cycling lands, other things like that. Because typically you will end up getting you know as many uh, playables as you need, at least in like most modern Magic sets. However, we don't often advise you know taking those super highly because there is a cost to giving up draft picks. Uh, in some sets, in particular, the cost is mitigated by the fact that every card is just pretty good. Like in cube, that's why you can take land second pick uh, because all the cards are bombs, right? And uh, unless you're looking for some unique effects, you can just take lands pretty highly. But here, uh, I don't know. Next up, we've got the Trickster God's Heist. This is two blue-black for a saga. First chapter, you may exchange control of two target creatures. Okay, <laughs> so like if you have a 3-3 and your opponent has a 3-3, this just does nothing, right? Unless they have some unique effect. I guess this turns your worst creature into their best creature and vice versa. Yeah. Is that good? It'll very drastically depend on the cards. If they have, like, you know, the set's biggest bomb and you have a 1-1 token, it's going to be pretty awesome. But, it, you know, it's mm. very, very context-dependent. I noticed Black has a bunch of ways of making 2-2 two -two zombies, but even those aren't, you know, the worst thing in the world. And I feel like White and uh, has some of the smaller stuff that you really want to be trading off, and Black has some ways of making these tokens, but not the really small ones. Next chapter is you may exchange control of two target non-basic non-creature permanents that share a card type. So <laughs> okay. specific. This might just not do anything. There might not even be legal targets for this in most board states. If you have played all, uh, all basic lands and all creatures, which is, you know, not an absurd thing to happen for two players, this just does nothing. Yeah, it's also like largely going to be irrelevant in a lot of situations. You know, you're still like, you know, the first thing that came to mind when I read non-basic was like, ooh, you can trade off your dual lands, but then it's like, okay, you're still giving them a dual. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it's you're like, probably just color screwing yourself if you do that. Like, and yeah, the fact that they have to share a card type. So it's not like you could give them a land and take their 
really good equipment or something. It, this right. just doesn't seem to do much. Third chapter is target player loses three life and you gain three life. Also uh, largely this not one, relevant. This one seems pretty weak, yeah. Although I will say, uh, this one does actually have some lore applications. Uh, if you look very closely at the art, uh, Cole the Forge Master, who we just met in Red White, things don't look like they go very well for him. <laughs> Yeah, not so much. Tibble's Next up, we've got Port. <laughs> oh, Tibble's having a great time with that sword that Cole poured all his hard work into. Next up, we've got Port of Carfell. It's a land, enters the battlefield, tap, taps are blue. we got three blue, black, black, tap, sack it, mill four cards, then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, tap. So notably, it does not have to be part of those four cards. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is a land that gets back your best and biggest thing from the graveyard. Sweet. Yeah, it does only hit your graveyard. I would like to see this hit both graveyards just, just because, you know, it's extra added value. But, you know, we'll, we'll take what we can get, I guess. Mm -hmm. That land honestly seems like one of the most powerful, un uncommon uh, you know, signposts yeah. we've got, especially in, in this archetype. I think if Narfi gets there, clearly just being able to bring back a 4-3, even tapped every turn, is pretty incredible. But you do have to get there on snow for that. Uh, I don't know. This is going to have the usual blue-black stuff, lots of good removal, lots of good interaction, and some pretty uh, good value creatures you know for, for what they do uh, we actually see one that i want to make everyone aware of a brine barrow intruder this is one blue for a one two human rogue with flash when our etbs target creature and opponent controls gets minus two minus oh until end of turn Ugh, zulaport duelist he's back better yeah. than ever oh, yeah. this one this time he's got a, a whole extra toughness Jeez, they just keep printing path to exile in blue over and over again don't they <laughs> All right, so next up we're on to blue-green, and blue-green is kind of the main snow archetype you're going to see in this format. There's also a minor shapeshifter theme. Most of the shapeshifters happen to be in blue-green, uh, but that doesn't really bode for anything that's really going on in the in the archetype overall. They're kind of incidental. So our first uncommon here is Morit of the Frost. It's two green-blue-blue for a 0-0 zero, zero legendary snow shapeshifter. It obviously has changeling. And it says you may have Morit of the Frost enter the battlefield as a copy of a permanent you control, except it's legendary and snow in addition to its other types. And if it's a creature, it enters with two additional plus one, plus one counters on it and has changeling. Sure. You know, you just beef up your creatures. Uh, you can also just copy anything else. I, it seems solid. I mean, it's a yeah. five mana card and it's kind of hard to cast as a lot of these legendaries are, but it pairs well with big ETB effects, too. True. Next up is the Three Seasons, which is blue-green. This is the, the Simic Saga for the format. We have oh, the, the first art. chapter. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. The carving in real life, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah some of the art for the uh, the sagas here, they carved out of wood, the artists, and then they, they use a picture of it for the art for the set. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, however, the, the Three Seasons is uh, blue-green for a saga, the first chapter is mill three cards. Second chapter is return up to two target snow permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. And the third chapter is choose three cards in each graveyard. Their owners shuffle those cards into their libraries. It kind of feels like a lot of do nothing to me. Yeah, you're going to take a lot of game actions with this. It kind of reminds me of Binding the Titans. Yeah, um, yeah like, okay, <laughs> lots of stuff is happening here. You're moving some cards around. You could potentially get some cards back. You got to have enough snow for this to actually work. If you have enough snow stuff in your deck, sure, whatever. But, but why doesn't it return three things? And it's called the three seasons, right? Why yeah, is it returning return two? two? 
everything else is like mill three choose three cards in graveyard why is it only return up to two <laughs> honestly your guess is as good as mine and of course our land here is lit yara mirror lake this one taps for blue and it has the activated ability of two green green blue tap sack it create a token that's a copy of target creature you control except it enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it activate this only anytime you could cast a sorcery that seems fine i guess you're turning a land into a copy of any of your creatures that might get buffed um mm -hmm. yeah i don't know seems decent i like the tendency of these kind of effects now to put additional power onto the creatures uh we also saw this with turn timber symbiosis so it, it's kind of right. negating the feel badness of when you don't have a good hit uh it makes right. your hit a little bit better just kind of by default so th i think this is a good direction for gameplay um it's also yeah, something green... you can easily tweak right like if if they mm. if they find that like you know you have a cre a, a set where you have a ton of extra um you know a, a ton of really powerful creatures you could always just put a clause on this that says like if its power is higher than whatever don't it doesn't get a counter but otherwise it does uh, yeah so it's easily tweakable that way so blue green is a bit of a, a looser archetype that we mentioned it's got shapeshifters it's got snow uh snow seems to be really where, where you're at um there, there is the potential to have this i really got their snow deck in blue green where you just you manage to pick up seven or eight snow lands without really costing you too many draft picks if that happens, amazing. You did it. Ha have fun. And then I think it'll be pretty clear what lane you're in because other people will not really want these snow payoffs uh, just because it is such a narrow lane to be in. Yeah, agreed. It definitely seems solid. It's going to have its usual Simic value nonsense going on. Um, look to have those ETB effects to copy because there are a handful of cards in this archetype that, that want to copy permanents and creatures. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how this goes. It seems like we might be getting a lot more, like, wedge style decks coming together and this could be a big linchpin in like something with Sultai or something of that nature mm -hmm. where you have like, I really like fan zombie synergies and shapeshifters play well in both yeah it's true i really like yara kin seekers uh, this is three and a blue for a two four shapeshifter with changeling uh, when it enters the battlefield if you control three or more creatures that share a creature type put a plus one plus one counter on the yara kin seekers and then scry one so what this is asking you to essentially have is this thing is just going to count for everything, right? So it's asking, do you control two other things that share a creature type? So that could be right. a shapeshifter and an elf warrior. Or that could be like a, an elf warrior and a, a zombie warrior or something like that. So I don't think this is that hard to enable. It's pretty likely that you're just going to be playing other shapeshifters in your deck. And there's a lot of repeated tribes in this set anyway. Lots of zombies, lots of berserkers, lots of angels. So I think a lot of the time this is just going to be a four mana three five scry one, which seems great. Agreed. And of course, the Sculptor of Winter works pretty well in this deck, given that there's a lot of snow stuff going on. Hmm. Next up, and last but not least, we have Blue-White. Blue-White, as usual, keeps a bit of its you know, uh, Blue-White Skies mechanics. There's going to be a lot of flyers here, but it also is the main foretell color combination. So this deck is going to try to win by getting foretell cards out there, getting value from them, looking for ways to gain value off these foretell cards, maybe gaining life or drawing cards. And then, incidentally, because you're white, you're going to have a lot of cheap spells and Potentially the ability to get some second spell payoffs from some of the white cards that have that. First up, we've got Vega the Watcher. This is one white blue for a 2-2 bird spirit. Legendary. It is flying, unsurprisingly. A uh, pretty sweet owl in that art there. And you've got, whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand, draw a card. Wait a minute, where can we do that in Limited? I, that doesn't happen that often. Yeah, well, that's where Fortel comes in. Would you look at that? So whenever you're casting your foretell, your foretold card, uh, you're drawing another card. Yeah, yeah <laughs> this I is mean, this is great. Letting every one of your foretell, foretell cards replace themselves is gas. 
the next one is not as much. This is Nico Defies Destiny. This is one white blue for a saga. Chapter one, you gain two life for each foretold card you own in exile. Eh. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird because I, I, I'm curious. That is that is one thing I'm curious about going into this format is how many cards you can have foretold at once. Mm-hmm. I expect it's probably only going to be one or two most of the time, but yeah. I could be wrong about that. So this is maybe gaining you two or four life, maybe for three mana. And if you're playing this on curve, it's only going to be two life. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Next up, we've got chapter two, add white blue. Spend this mana only to foretell cards or cast spells that have foretell. This is mana ramp, but it's very situational. Yeah. And finally, we got return target card with foretell from your graveyard to your hand, which, okay, it, it, it at least draws a card itself. Mm, I don't know. I think you want at least four or five foretell cards before you put this in your deck. And even then, it might not always be great. If you draw things in the wrong order, I just see this flopping. Agreed, yeah. I, Nico might defy Destiny, but I think I'm defying this card. <laughs> We've got Gates of Istvel next. This is a land. Enters tapped. Taps for white. You can pay two white, blue, blue. Tap and sack it. You gain two life and draw two cards. Sphinx's Rev is back, baby. Yeah, it's more like a Cloud Blazer, but still okay, really good. Well, you know what? <laughs> it's got it's got Sphinx's Rev activation cost if you could lock the X in it, too. I I'm calling it a Sphinx's Rev. Okay, that's true. I'll notably, give you that. Notably, almost all of these lands mention that you can only do them at, at sorcery speed. This one does not have that clause on it. You can you mm. cast, you can activate that ability at any time. Yeah, good point. Combos well with, you know, Blue's tendency to do annoying garbage at instant speed. <laughs> so uh, this, this deck looks solid. Uh, I think Vega is a really strong build around. If you put this in your average Blue-Eyed deck, your average Blue-Eyed deck will just have enough foretell cards to you know go off with this like you can put this and just have a base three mana two two flyer and then you're like all right sure great (laughs) some decks are gonna have trouble with that anyway uh seems like a fine archetype um i think depart the realm is one thing to look out for here speaking of blue nonsense this is one of the blue for an instant return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand and has foretell of just one so this actually does cost more mana to play uh overall if you're foretelling and then casting from foretell but uh, i think the ability to have that one mana up and you know have a a bounce spell just available to you seems useful i also i wonder how much equity you're going to gain by foretelling cards that cost more overall because your opponent's going to expect probably those aren't as good or maybe they actually are just good and and people will be playing them but i'm curious if playing like playing the bad foretell cards on as for like foretelling the bad foretell cards could be uh, interesting i'm curious how much equity you can pick up there just because your opponent assumes that you're foretelling a bunch of other good foretell cards Mm, yeah speaking of good foretell cards uh god's hall guardian is five and a white for a three six vigilance which doesn't look like much on its front half right like this is just fine in fact this is worse than we've seen sometimes these like come in and gain you some life or make a token or something but this one addition of vigilance has foretell for three and a white so this could potentially be a four drop three six vigilance that's thick that i like yeah there's not a whole lot that that tussles with this in the red zone on on turn four and it kind of makes up for anything any tempo you're going to lose on turn two by foretelling this you're going to gain back by because no nothing can attack into this basically yeah uh, i like the look of this cat the flavor text says that not a single rat has been seen in isfel since the gods moved in clearly this thing is keeping the rats at bay it'll probably keep your opponent at bay too so we wanted to shout out a, uh, what would you call this, an honorable mention, a, a hidden archetype? A dishonorable mention, I think, is, is where we want to go. Ah, uh, what are you talking about? Five color nonsense. Five color world tree tribal. 
So specifically, we're talking about Path to the World Tree. So this is a very powerful spell. This is one and a green for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. And you can pay two white, blue, black, red, green. So that's seven mana. It's a Golos activation, right? Uh, sacrifice, Path to the World Tree. You get ready? Start taking notes. You gain two life, draw two cards. There you go. You like Sphinx's Rev? Sure uh, but there's more. Target opponent loses two life. Path of the World Tree deals two damage to up to one target creature. You create a 2 2 green bear creature token. It's a yep. Text. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm in. So this clearly is suggesting that this is a thing you can do. It's an uncommon, uh, but it does kind of set itself up. It lets you tutor for a basic. You're not playing this if you're just tutoring for a basic with this one of the green to get a basic land and put it in your hand is not a card worth playing in this format i don't think but if there's even the the glimmer of a chance that you could activate that thing you've got to try right <laughs> i mean when you're when you're talking about nonsense and like like draft chaff nonsense sure i think that's reasonable how frequently do you actually think the path of world tree deck comes together probably not very often right like uh, definitely not in like your first draft of the format or anything I, that just seems really unlikely it seems honestly though this seems like a once in a format deck unless it's just so bad everybody avoids it constantly then you could probably get it when you want it but eh, i don't know it doesn't seem like it's ever going to actually do the thing you want it to and even when it does like it does a lot of stuff, I suppose, but by turn seven, does any of that stuff actually matter? Maybe. Isn't this like a five for one? <laughs> like, well, it, like it, draws, I, it draws it, you a land. It draws uh, you a land. It draws you two more cards. It forces your opponent to lose two life, which might matter, but probably won't matter that much. Maybe kills one of their creatures, but by the time you have seven mana, dealing two damage to one creature probably isn't going to kill most things that are relevant. And then you make a two-two, which also isn't super relevant when you have seven mana on the board. I'm just All right, saying. so let's call it let's call it like a four and a half for one because I think some of these are real effects. Like th this can like snipe their flyer that's bothering you. Like them losing two life and you gaining two life, like that can be relevant. That can swing a race if you're if you're racing with Path of the World Tree in your deck. Uh, God help your soul. That's exactly. But, so it's uh, like, like, what actually is that doing for you? Unless but there's other ways to. to too. Here's the thing: there's other ways to get there. Like there's Horizon Seeker. That's two in a green for a three-two human warrior. And that is boast one of the green. Search your library for a basic land. Reveal it. Put it in your hand and shuffle. So you're not ramping, uh, but this is going to get there. This does technically two for one. Uh, yeah. You've also got Glittering Frost. This is two and a green for a snow enchantment aura. It enchants a land. The enchanted land becomes snow. So put this on your non-snow lands. And then whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional one mana of any color. Notably, both of those are snow. So all those pesky activations that we were seeing in the set that cost like two snow or three snow, this just takes care of that really easily. Yeah, yeah. This this is the card that you're going to be looking for when you really need to make sure you can hit your snow activations. Mm -hmm. And there's some other five-color nonsense. There's Asika of the World Tree. Uh, there's the World Tree itself. Every once in a while, you're going to wind up in a really fun deck, uh, and I think it's going to come together. I'm just saying. I don't doubt it, and I know that you're the type of person who will put it together. I just don't think it's actually going to end up being good. Sometimes we see these are we see formats where these like hidden five color archetypes are actually quite good when you can put mm. them together. They're just kind of difficult to do so. I think yeah. this is going to be difficult to do so and also not very good. But I'm ready to be I'm ready to be proven wrong. Yeah, I'm ready to prove you wrong. So. <laughs> All right, well, kind of last up here, we did want to highlight the artifacts in this episode. We typically haven't in the past, but kind of as part of our new uh, format breakdown format, as it were, we wanted to highlight some art uh, artifacts as well. 
Um, there is, of course, the living weapon cycle. We call it living weapon. That's that's a reference to an older uh, mechanic where artifacts would come into the battlefield attached to a zero zero germ token. In this case, they're not quite that, but they do. There's a cycle of uncommon uh, artif- artifact equipments that enter the battlefield. If you pay an extra cost, they enter the battlefield attached to a particular creature, which is great. You know, any any equipment that can bring its own creature with it is pretty awesome and a lot of those are quite good the white one in particular seems really interesting uh we also have cards like funeral longboat that's right vehicles are back which we mentioned in our mechanics show uh funeral longboat's kind of an interesting one it's two mana for a three three with vigilance and it has crew one so it's way above rate you know three three with vigilance isn't like game breaking or anything but it is a solid card and it's above rate so i think we're gonna see a lot of those floating around i really like vigilance on vehicles uh it kind of uh, negates some of the downside of this thing not really being a true creature, given that you can have it up to attack or block, and this kind of makes playing out your creatures and deciding whether you want to attack with it a lot easier. The answer is usually just going to be yes. Right, and then yeah, anything can crew it, so you're going to be able to get that defender in there as well uh, when mm-hmm. you need it. Next up is Replicating Ring. This is three mana for a snow artifact. It has tap, add one mana of any color, so kind of our colorless mana rock for the format. It also says at the beginning of your upkeep, put a night counter on Re- Replicating Ring. Then if it has eight or more night counters on it remove all of them and create eight colorless snow artifact tokens named replicated ring with tap add one man of any color so it does the thing this is this is kind of a uh, a top-down approach to design this was there's a there's a ring in norse mythology that does basically this mm-hmm. so i love the design not so sure it's actually a good card in fact it's probably just a trap right you're going from yeah. eight to 16 mana when you can and then that's like what are you okay great i guess but you already had eight mana you probably had more than you needed to begin with Unless you have some really ridiculous activated ability, this might actually be in your path to the World Tree deck. <laughs> See, this actually could go in the, especially because it's a snow artifact. That being said, I don't think you're playing this unless you are absolutely desperate for fixing and snow. And also, like, the three drop slot just seems like it's going to be full of stuff. You're going to have better things to do on turn three than this, right? Probably. I think some of the some of the Sultai snow decks might actually want a copy of this. I wouldn't expect to see it taken very highly, but you know, this is another situation where I'm curious to see what ends up happening with this. Sometimes mana rocks are very important and we don't really have many in this format, so hmm. Uh, and then there's also the Ruined Crown. Uh, Ruined Crown is a three-mana artifact equipment that says when Ruined Crown enters the battlefield, you may search your library hand and or graveyard for a Rune card and put it onto the battlefield attached to Ruined Crown. If you search your library this way, shuffle it, and equipped creature gets plus one, plus one. It has an equipped cost of two. I really like the way this is templated because if you only have one Rune card in your deck, you don't have to worry about the downside of drawing it and then not being able to tutor it up with this card. I, yeah. think, I think that I like that they added the hand clause in there. Outside of that, if you don't have any rune cards at all, this is five mana to give your creature plus one, plus one is not good. Um, Definitely look elsewhere for your equipments if you can. But I don't know. How many runes do you need to make this worth playing? You're always going to hit with it. Yeah, I'd say you probably want at least two, right? Um, You definitely... The the, the worst case scenario here is that you have uh, both your runes in hand and then you draw this. And you're like, okay, so I get to play this and then free cast a rune. And that's not really... That's not great. Um, Something kind of interesting here is that this would technically let you play an off-color rune, uh, given that it immediately attaches. I I think actually Runeforge Champion, that's the rare, right? The one that... uh, I'm pretty sure that one gives your runes you can pay one colorless instead. Is there a five-color runes deck too? (laughs) There might be. There, there actually might be. The runes are all good, right? They they replace themselves. Even the worst runes are quite good. So I wouldn't be surprised if someone tries putting that together. I think you'd Five need a couple color of... Voltron? Yeah, you'd probably need a couple of crowns. 
And even then, like, five mana to give your creature plus one, plus one, and find a rune is probably still not amazing. Because you do need, like, you mm-hmm. can't can't really play this on three and have it do something. It's still a do-nothing card on turn three, outside yeah. of replacing the rune. Um, you still do get the card off the rune that this brings into play, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I, I We'll see, I guess. I, I don't know what to think about that deck. I wouldn't I really wish- to see it, though. Yeah, I really wish this instead said equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each rune that was like equipped to oh, the, the yeah. crown or it. Uh, notably with this, you also want to be careful if you have runes in your deck and you're waiting to draw this. If you put a rune on a creature, it could trade off the rune will go to the graveyard and the crown lets you get, get it back. Uh, if you put a rune on an equipment that's not the rune crown, this doesn't search your battlefield so you can't like equip this from the battlefield right back to the crown uh so notably make sure your runes are going to like go to the graveyard in some way or else you won't be able to get that graveyard value from this if something goes on an artifact like an equipment like another equipment it's probably going to stay there for the entire game yeah i think i think probably the way rune crown really gets its value is you've played a bunch of runes on creatures that have died and then you get this and you just get those you get to free roll those out of your graveyard and just get mm-hmm. extra value for them. All right, that's it. That those are all the archetypes and all the major cards, the main color groups, and uh, our top commons in all of those. So, last things last, what are you excited for in this set? What are you What are you hoping to put together outside of your path to the World Tree deck? What are you looking forward to, Ben? Look, I'm just saying, pretty soon, if not already, you're going to see a post in the Discord that in- that involves a very powerful World Tree deck. Uh, I, I can't wait to cast some angels, um, and I'm interested to see how Fortel plays out. We can talk about Fortel all the time. We can talk about it for uh, as much as we want, as much theory crafting as possible. But this is one of those ones where it's really going to be impossible to know until you just get in there and start doing it. Right? Uh, it's just super unique. Um, we haven't seen anything quite like this before. I'm also hoping to see Boast work out and Shapeshifters have some cool synergies. But you know, I, I have a feeling that this is going to be the Fortel uh, set. Like if we think back on Ikoria, people will remember it as like the cycling set. Uh, I have a feeling that's going to be Fortel here. I, I hope not to have those other ones get too overshadowed, but uh, this seems like a, a pretty fun format. Agreed. Yeah, and I, I actually quite like that they have managed to get two sets that feel quite different from each other, both of which have very different mechanics, like things that got people talking for quite some time. And of course, I mean, ZNR had the introduction of MDFCs, and of course we see those again here, but they were very novel when when Zendikar Rising came out. We had no idea mm-hmm. how they were going to play out, how you should take them in drafts, how you should build your decks around them, all that kind of stuff. So it that garnered a lot of discussion. I think Fortel is going to be the same. The first few weeks of this format are going to be people trying to figure out where how does Fortel fit into the format and what beats those decks if they're actually yeah. good and what else you should be doing if they're not. So I'm very excited about the puzzle of all of this the new set uh coming out and they haven't really done that the last few sets of course they put out mutate which was like you know a kind of a weird mechanic and had a lot of people talking about just like what does it even (laughs) do but beyond that it didn't really garner a lot of discussion and then theros i can't really remember if there was even a a very um talked about yeah i I suppose that's true but escape was just like another graveyard thing it didn't really feel that unique and of course m21 uh, is a, a core set so that didn't really have anything uh, yeah. going on i think underworld breach was probably the biggest talking point of, of theros right that's fair yeah yeah and um, or i guess uro <laughs> well yeah yeah yeah. besides, pre, yeah, besides individual cards sure yeah that before we knew what exactly uro <laughs> before we knew what we were dealing with everyone yeah. was a little more aware can you believe we were more concerned about underworld breach at one point <laughs> this world is weird 
But yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm super excited to see if there's actually like a bona fide control deck in in limited this time around. Mm. A lot of times, control decks in limited tend to just be like slower mid range decks. So I'm curious if there's actually going to be a real bona fide control deck that plays a bunch of foretell cards and can actually be closer to what true control is from a constructed perspective. I'm also just excited to see what the actual speed of the format's going to be when the dust settles after these first few weeks. Is it going to be fast? Is it going to be slow? Is it going to be somewhere in the middle? Are we going to have control decks? Are we going to have aggro decks? Are we going to, you know, is Fortel going to be a big thing? Is Boast going to be more important than we expect it to be? Mm. Hopefully it, the set remains as diverse as it feels right now because it feels like there's a lot going on and I would be really upset if it turns out that there's just like one deck you need to be in all the time. Yeah. That about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for spending your time with us and checking out all there is to know about Kaldheim. Hopefully you're enjoying some drafts or have been already by the time this episode releases and I'm sure Ben and I will be as well. Of course, if you're interested in talking all things Kaldheim with us and the rest of the community who listens to the show, check out our Discord. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And of course, if you're interested in giving back to the show or supporting us in any way, the best place to do that is patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we have five different tiers over there and a whole lot of different perks depending on how much you're willing to give. Any little bit helps. And at the very least, just share the episode. Send it out on social media. You know, getting a further reach for the show is also a great way to support us. If you want to reach out to us on social media instead of the Discord, you can do so by heading over to Twitter and checking out my profile at Alfredian or Ben's at Betafish1, and of course the, the podcast directly is at DraftChaffPod. And if you want to email us, you can do so at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. That does it for us, and we'll see you next week. Happy drafting, everybody. So we've had an interesting week in history, as I feel like I could say for every single week for the past, I don't know, name a number. Um, yeah, <laughs> but right. this week, in, uh, in our historical talking points, uh, we've seen the mass net sum of uh, a, a subreddit pitted against the mass net sum of the wealthy corporate elite. And I gotta say, it's fun to watch. <laughs> I've had the popcorn going. It is it is hilarious. I did actually, you have any uh, any game stonks, as they, as they call them? I did not. Uh, that was something I think the first bit of, like the very first spike where it was like almost, two, I think it was like 200% in that first day where, where people really started to figure out what was going on with that. I mm-hmm. kind of missed the boat. And then I was like, th- I at that point, I wasn't going to invest much because I really expected it to drop down. And I don't like shorting because you have infinite potential for loss. Yeah. Unless you have like good stop gaps and stuff which a lot of companies apparently didn't have is it's actually hilarious. Like one company lost a hundred percent of their investment on, on shorting that <laughs> stock. And it's like, why would you ever allow yourself to get to that point? Anyway, it's just because they, they never expected that like so many people from the internet would band know, together in like, such an absurd it's way. Investing one oh one. Like you just put stop gaps, you have a risk risk to reward ratio and you put stop gaps in place so you don't lose all your money. Like that's just how you're supposed to invest. Like Look, I'm just baffled. I mean, I've heard of drafting the hard way, but it sounds like some of these people could use a course on investing the hard <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. But uh, so I don't own, I didn't own any GameStop. I didn't own any, I might own ETFs that have, no, they probably don't even have GameStop in because it was such a, no, like a nothing stock for, for yeah. so long. Similar to the Kodak situation that happened in the summer, like overnight Kodak tripled or it's, uh, more than maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't own any of the GameStop. I don't own AMC. I don't own blackberry i don't own any of these stocks like that wall street bets has been pumping but it's really weird and to like we did record this episode over two days so you know some some new things popped up um on thursday here yeah which, you know with like all the robin hood stuff and sh- it's just wild it's so so oh, wild. yeah 
the fact that this garnered government attention immediately and is honestly drawing a lot of eyes to our questionable economic systems that we've got here. Uh, it's yeah. it's so, so much. Like, three days ago, I didn't think about stocks more than once a week. But now, um, I will say my brother and I were able to get in on some of that AMC and BlackBerry uh, pretty pretty early on. So, I mean, as of right now, it's, it's about where it was uh, I, I think w- w- the way we're viewing it is we're th- we're thinking of it as a bet on whether or not this Reddit, this subreddit, is going to be o- able to overcome uh, whatever nonsense the uh, the corporate sector now starts to throw at it. Because you got to imagine that every single like uh, person on Wall Street right now, their primary job is going to be to figure out how do we stop this and how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again, right? See, it's it's interesting because part of me thinks like it shouldn't matter. Like let mm. the stock do what it's going to do. And yeah, I guess people are like coming together to like force the price to go a certain way, sort of. Yeah. And technically that's not legal. Like, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. How do you ever stop that without completely dismantling the current system, which isn't going to happen anytime soon? It might happen, but it won't yeah. happen in a, in a, in a quick manner. So I, I don't know. It's like weird to me that this is even like an issue. Like just if you, if you really are worried about this kind of stuff happening, don't invest in swing stocks. Like it's not like mm-hmm. if something skyrockets overnight, probably don't touch it. Like <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's just one of those things that like, I don't know. And also a lot of this happens when people are interested in like making a lot of money really fast and like prop quote unquote proper investing is like buy and hold a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this, this also would have been avoided if people were more worried about buy and hold than like making a quick buck overnight. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is absolutely gambling, um, but yeah. it is, but, but like clearly sometimes you, you make banks. Sometimes the gamblers win. Sometimes you do actually manage to screw over the house. Uh, although I, I guess this is a little different in that this is more like, this isn't so much winning against the house, like a casino, uh, although right. it, it is a pretty apt analogy. This is more like, I don't know, just picking up one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the slot machines and taking it home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Uh, but I don't know. Such is the the way that this has worked. Like, hey, look, they want capitalism. Fine. Fight them on their field. (laughs) 